It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Well, hello, Miss Natalie. How are you? Well, hello, Mr. John. I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I am bracing myself for the impending heat wave that is coming back, apparently. Oh. So, well, yes. I don't think yours ever left, but the, the heat dome kind of extended up over us. And then it did this weird jelly bean shape where it went around us and up into Missouri and, and like Kansas. And now it's coming back into an oval. So uh, today wasn't bad. Today was only 85. Tomorrow is 100. Ooh, yeah, and that's then pretty hot for you guys. Wednesday, I want to say Wednesday and Thursday, it could potentially be between 104 and 107. Welcome to the club. And I don't think he was talking about heat indexes. <laughs> the indices were not part of that, which sucks. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But at least there's a lot of shade where you are, right? There's a lot I mean, of trees. There's, there's a lot of trees, but if there's no breeze, yeah, that's true. it's that's still humid and icky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We did get rain last night for the first time in a little while, and it was it was enough to make everything damp. And even though it was cooler last night, when I took the dogs out, I could already feel how oppressive it was just from the added humidity all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is really Buggy. not going to be good when the sun yeah. comes back up. <laughs> Yeah, mugginess is hard to deal with. Yeah. So, anywho, so there's that. Um, how uh, how's everything going in your world? Everything being quiet for the dearth? You know, yeah. Except for discussions about the dearth and pollen availability. I don't know if you've seen any of that stuff. <laughs> We've gotten a few uh, questions in here as well in regards to like, well, actually, what we talked about, I think, last episode, the whole. Oh my God, my queen's gone. Like I've only found a little tiny patch of eggs. I think something happened to her. And I'm like, it's a hundred degrees. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> oh no, you froze. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I, I thought I thought that actually so so I, everybody heard me just say oh no you froze so on her end it looked like I froze and on my end it looked like she froze and then she vanished. Um, so you know. Technology issues here. We're having some tech problems, which is actually pretty fortuitous considering today we're talking about uh, technology. <laughs> yes, exactly. And how sometimes it has its own limitations. It's a great tool. But... <laughs> gonna, it could be foreshadowing for how the rest of this conversation is going to go. <laughs> so, well, so we're back on. So we're good. <laughs> we're back. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So with that, that fun little seg, like segue in here. Um, Technology. So not just technology, like, you know, there's lots of cool little gadgets and things that are coming out nowadays where you can monitor your hive and it can tell you based on the weight of the hive and uh, the sound of the bees and the temperature of the colony, whether or not they're getting ready to swarm or if your queen right or if the queen's gone or if there's producing a lot of brood or if there's a honey flow coming in, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, that sort of technology has its advantages if you have the, the money to pay for it. It's kind of a fun little perk and thing to have in there, and that's not necessarily bad. But sometimes 
uh, technology. And I, I will preface this with, I love technology and I love robotic type stuff. Um, but sometimes we get a little bit of ahead of ourselves and we, we invent solutions to things that may not actually be a problem. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, uh, I mean, it's so true that, um, we, we also forget in the case of the honeybee that, uh, it's a, it's an organism and also it has a different life cycle than most livestock. Um, and it also, it flies, right? So there's all kinds of limitations that make it, make technological, uh, innovations really tough, uh, to adapt to the colonies of honeybees, right? Right. Well, and so the, I'm going to start with the first one here kind of going a little bit out of order with things, but the the first thing that kind of struck me is the fact that bees have been around forever and they have adapted to all the different changes and the seasons and cycles and all this stuff. Like they grow, they learn, they adapt, they adapt to the different challenges. The, the biggest problem that they have adapting to is humans, <laughs> us, and all of the things that we throw at them, be it, you know, strange structures, destroying their habitat, reduction of food, chemical warfare, like all of these different things. So the very first thing that I thought was kind of interesting was back when colony collapse disorder was really kind of at its peak. There was a lot of talk about different companies going through and creating robot substitutes or robotic bees, but literally substitutes for honeybees. And one of the leading places actually was in China where they already have a problem with pollinators and they have people that literally go out with paintbrushes and pollinate flowers and plants because they right. have so many issues. So different companies started going through and designing these different things. Um, one of which was Harvard who designed a robotic bee, one of the first ones back in 2013. But by the 2018, 2019 mark, major corporations like Walmart even jumped on board and filed patents. Now they haven't actually shown any of the bees, but they filed patents for robotic bees that can go out, gather pollen, spread it to other plants of the same species and pollinate crops. My first, first thought, even back the very first time I heard about this was how about instead of spending all this money on how are we going to replace the bees when they die out? Maybe we should focus that money on how do we keep the bees from dying out? <laughs> that's right. And that's the simplest solution to the problem. There's all often a sol uh, like a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. But in this case, there's an issue. Uh, so it's a very creative way to try to fix the problem. But how about keeping it simple? Uh, I like the KISS system, right? And a lot of keep people it have their to say the acronym. <laughs> but we like to say keep it super simple. Oh, right. I like the stupid part at the end because that's how I grew I up. Do. But you could say silly, keep it simple, silly, um, or keep it super simple if you don't want to, you know, right. be degradatory towards anybody. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what we're trying to avoid. And in the grand scheme of things, follow the money as always, right? People are either trying to monopolize and control specific things to make money off of them, or they're just trying to sell you something. Right. For, to solve a problem that doesn't necessarily exist or that their products don't necessarily solve. And I'm looking at it a little bit that way. Now, this being said, 
I totally agree that um, we should instead focus on helping our bees by decreasing toxicity around them and increasing the availability of forage. So planting a whole lot of nutritious uh, forage that will help not only our honeybees, but also all the native bees, because let's face it, that's what, you know, uh, also matters. And, and in the end, even if we didn't have honeybees, we still have native bees, except if we kill all of them, then we've got nothing. Right. <laughs> and and um, some of them are better at pollinating specific plants. But the beauty of the honeybees is that they're generalists. And in the United States, they've been important. And they're here to say there's no there's no removing them. So we might as well now accept them the way uh, they are in the landscape. <clears throat> but the point you, is that you hear that, Australia, there is no removing them. They're already there. <laughs> that yeah, goes back to the article exactly. we talked about a couple weeks ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're not natives, but they're they're, but they're, they're the there. Yeah. So might as well kind of uh, work with that. And what's going to help those native bees are going to help our honeybees as well. And and so that's the best approach. Also limiting the stress and uh, expo- uh, exposure to toxic, you know, pesticides, insecticides, fungicides. Um, that would also protect our bees and that, you know, uh, help them. But the, the other aspect of this is that people like to cite that the bees are disappearing, the honeybee colonies are disappearing. In the United States, there has been a decrease from about 6 million at the end of World War II to about 4 million now uh, colonies in the United States. So in the grand scheme of things, I mean, if we look only at that period of time, it looks like we've lost 30%. Right. Of our colonies. But in reality, when you look back at like the ni- the beginning of the 1900, there were four million of bees, of colonies of bees. So we're back to the level that we had. In yeah, we, did, we had a little 90s. peak and a plateau and we've we've leveled and back what hap- out. What happened is that those kind of uh, where you they they multiply the colonies of honeybees to respond to a law of supply and demand. Right. There was a huge demand during World War II for wax products, especially. And so beekeepers rose to the um, to the occasion and multiplied their number of colonies uh, by 50 percent. But after the war was over, there was not as much of a need for all that. So the colonies naturally declined. Yes, there was some dips that were caused by uh, colony collapse. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and the varamites coming in and all the stressors that we're seeing. And it's notoriously more difficult to keep bees because of all that, right? But in the end, in the grand scheme of things, we're back to what we were about a hundred years ago, right? So, you know, all those scary stories are to be taken with a grain of salt. Well, and there's, there's a couple of aspects that I always like to point out with that too. Most of the numbers that you get are coming from commercial beekeepers. It's that whole scenario of, one beekeeper may have 2000 colonies, but then there's 2000 other people out there that have one colony. But unfortunately right. we just focus on the guy that's got 2000 and out of those 2000 colonies, they may or may not be treated as well as the individuals that have one colony would treat their one colony. So therefore they experience higher losses and you see that reflected in stuff. Now, the other side of that too, is the simple fact that as a bee removal specialist, I couldn't get a week of sleep or rest or anything because right. there was a never ending call in supply 
for bees inside structures that they shouldn't be in, which told me, right. no, they're not having a problem at all. No. <laughs> so what is happening is losses are in commercial settings, um, usually more dramatic uh, to the people that own those colonies. And even in backyard beekeeping settings, if you're losing all your colonies, that's scary. But really, those statistics were, were reflecting what was happening in commercial beekeeping world, where you have transit, uh, migratory beekeeping, you're transporting bees, you're uh, feeding them pollen, supplements, substitutes ahead of the season so that you can transport them to California when it's still the dead of the winter where we are. Uh, so there's all kinds of constraints and needs that are different when it comes to commercial beekeeping that really stresses the bees. And, and so no wonder there's losses there. But also at the same time, those same beekeepers have learned how to make up their numbers back by splitting every season. That's right. right? You can always make more. So, <laughs> or so they yeah. think. <laughs> Yeah. So the numbers are not that as dramatic when you look at the bigger picture. Yeah. So one of the things we like to talk about a lot here on our beekeeper chats are unintended consequences. And you said something yeah. at the very beginning of this that kind of made me chuckle because I got to thinking about, well, you know, the the dark side of how anything seems to go. If you want to have like this post-apocalyptic future viewpoint on things, mm -hmm. let's say something horrific did happen and all of the honeybees disappeared. And all of the native bees soon followed suit because, again, if you're doing something to help one, you're helping the other because a lot of the food sources are in common there. So something happens and we absolutely have to rely on these little robotic pollinators instead. Well, there's there's a there's a catch 22 there because bees, as you mentioned, they can fly. They come and go where they want. You can't really control. You can kind of hedge your bets, but you can't control what they're truly going to go no. pollinate. Mm -hmm. But if you take those out of the equation and you make robotic bees that can be programmed and they are controlled by somebody, well, now you've got a whole different scenario. I don't like you and or you're not willing to pay my fee. Therefore, I'm not sending my robots to pollinate your crops. Monsanto seeds, anybody? <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> and, it, and heaven forbid, if the Monsanto seeds cross pollinate with yours and you get caught with Monsanto genetics that Kill you did fault. not purchase for, you get sued. Right, <laughs> so, right. so, yes. The, the unintended consequences work here as well. Um, there's also the fact that all of a sudden we're not going to be trying to save the bees if we don't have to rely on them anymore to pollinate our crop, food crops. Right. So welcome, you know, welcome, you know, all this stuff. And, and so that might open the door to more pollution, more um, just kind of exploitation of natural resources that we would have to be more careful about <clears throat> if we if we had to rely on our bees, native or honeybees. Uh, but there's one sliver of, of hope that's the flip side of the cone is that now you're not relying on our honeybees to go and pollinate those crops in California. That's true. Which means it's a lot less stressful on those bees, yeah. which means we don't have to have so many honeybee colonies everywhere in the United States on holding pattern, waiting to go to pollination contracts, which means there's less pressure on the native bees. And if they still exist. <laughs> And the honeybees that we have are not as exposed to pesticides and, and, and all that good stuff. So, and the stress, especially of transporting them. But I think that overall, the benefits gained from that would still be offset by the negative. Yeah. 
there's there's all kinds of strange odd things that could happen in there if you want to be kind of like you know conspiracy theorist type scenarios i mean it could it could get kind of interesting but it is definitely something to keep in mind because technology can be controlled and in and then you can garner a price you can literally hold crops and people and families hostage because you can be like sorry you pay this much and or the robots don't come pollinate your plants <laughs> well, and, um let's imagine for some reason our te technology fails oh emp fails exactly <laughs> across the globe and we've killed all our bees because we're not relying on those robots yeah so what do we do Right? Nothing. At that point, you are screwed. Sun sends We're, out a mega wave that hits and fries all electronics and all the bees the matrix, go. man. See, exactly. <laughs> so that is that is one scenario where technology is way ahead of its time trying to solve a problem. Now, in this one instance, there truly is a problem, but the solution is the wrong solution because you're That's creating right. something to replace the thing that has the problem instead of trying to solve the problem. But so in the next instance, you talked about moving bees around. And mm -hmm. there was an article that you actually sent me earlier this last week in regards to what it, it was called, um, the 2035 Moving Beehive. And when you first oh, sent yeah. it to me, I honestly thought it was a remote control car because it I wasn't know, it to scale. It was cool. <laughs> I was like, hey, that would be kind of fun to run around out here on the rocks and the hills. But it is actually when when they start showing some of their computer generated mockups of it, it is this massive vehicle that with the beekeeper standing just beside it, hive. it's huge. And it just has, yes, exactly. One hive inside of it. The concept is supposedly because this is just a theoretical. It's like when you see the cool concept cars for 50 years down the road that never materialize. But the concept was that this vehicle somehow will help you do more sustainable beekeeping by not having to truck. And, and this is, again, a kind of a strange thing, because if you go back and look, I'll, I'll get there in a second. You don't have to truck hundreds and hundreds of colonies out to these places. On one truck. But instead, you're going to truck a truck of these vehicles that contain one hive out to these places. Thousands and thousands yeah. of these vehicles and everywhere, then, because it takes how many colonies of bees to pollinate the almond Hundreds fields? upon hundreds upon hundreds, <laughs> you know, like. And so. You've got this vehicle that's carting around this one hive. And right off the bat, when I was looking at part of it, like the first thing that struck out to me was when the vehicle is in transporter and storage, it actually stands upright in a vertical position. Yep. And then when it's moving, it's out in a horizontal position. But the frames inside this vehicle, and it doesn't say, so there could be something there. But imagine if these frames are no, stuck in say. place. No, but, but does it say that the frames rotate? No, the picture shows that basically those frames are vertical. Right. When it's parked. When it's parked. So what you've got is in one of these two scenarios, wherever the colony is normally at, that is the direction they're building their comb in so that gravity will hold everything down inside the cells. We all know the cells point up, even though it looks like a flat surface. Now you take it and it goes into the next position, be it whichever the opposite of whatever it's supposed to be. And suddenly the cells are either laying on their side or they're upside down. And yes. you're like, wait, what? 
So everything's not going to be held in like it should with gravity. It could potentially run out. The bees are disoriented. Shit's not in the right spot. The so fruit might not grow properly. You know, right. Things let's not leak. even talk about, you know, requeening <laughs> themselves or anything. It's right. Kind of disruptive. So it, it's kind of interesting. And it talks about a more sustainable way to do beekeeping and, and you don't have to do all this other stuff. But one of the big points that Natalie originally pointed out was, okay, but how much did it cost you to make these vehicles and how many vehicles do you need? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a colony of honeybee could be in a top or having free equipment, right? right. Uh, so scavenged uh, parts. <laughs> uh, it could be in a bucket as far as I'm concerned. And it would still pollinate the crops. You, you might have to carry that bucket along. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't yeah, so need to be self-propelled. You're not burning fossil fuels. You're not taking them out there in a diesel semi or a gas-powered truck and dropping them off. You've got an electric vehicle, but it did cost money and materials and resources and production that probably still used fossil fuels to create said technological vehicle. <laughs> well, okay, so caveat here. I think that's just a concept. I don't it think is. that exists it's at not, all. No, it's it not good. Like it's all CGI. Yeah, it's all, yeah. you know, design, it's plants. But I don't think they even understand how colonies of bees work. I mean, mm. none of the writer suggests that they do, including the fact that they have those vehicles moving along in the fields little by little, like, you slowly. know, a lot of the agricultural like the, implements do. The old school tractor sprinklers that slowly inch yeah, along exactly. and, and move. Yes. Yeah. They fail to understand that these forage in a radius of about a mile to five miles if they have to, right? And if you and, move and too so, far, they get a little disoriented. <laughs> and if, yes, that's the other thing. You're moving the high vice, they're pollinating, and it's just going to create a huge amount of confusion. And even if it's not, you know, uh, within the same day, anytime you move that vehicle, let's say you have this part of the field uh, on day one, this part of the field on day two, which makes zero sense, then all of a sudden the bees are completely lost. Yeah, right? their foragers are going to go back to the day one location because that's where they oriented on when they first came out of there. So there, there was a lot of, of glaring little things in there, like you said, that, that talk about you probably don't really understand your subject matter. You're creating, right. again, a solution to a problem that does not exist, or you're trying to solve a problem that maybe isn't quite, you're not understanding really the problem of it at all. If you're trying to solve the fossil fuel aspect, that's one thing, but you have to understand the biology of the bee and something as simple as the orientation of the comb and how you do not screw with that or you mess things up. <laughs> well, it's all a creating a solution to make money off yep. of, People, it's trying to make a product that will sell, and in this case, I, I just think that beekeepers are the perfect target. I mean, but at the same time, they know the bees, and a lot of these people that create that technologies, uh, those technologies don't understand yeah. necessarily how the bees work. Now, the one caveat that I will give this one that the last one in this conversation <laughs> does not have is that at least in all of the mock-ups, there is still a beekeeper in almost every one of those pictures in a full bee suit. <laughs> <laughs> to monitor and watch their hives. Whereas in our very last topic for today is oh my gosh. one that may be out there that everybody probably has seen. This one is called the Bee Home by right. Bee Wise. It is literally a ginormous square robotic beehive that can hold up to 24 colonies inside of it. And it is all 100% autonomous. No beekeeper needed. <laughs> Where do I start with this one? <laughs> now, because this also, one has the pretense of being serious. Well, that's what I was going to say. 
the mm-hmm. the caveat here is that this thing exists. It is actually right. in production overseas and there are functioning versions of it out there. So this isn't a hypothetical like the last one. <laughs> so, I mean, what is it? Uh, what problem is it solving? You're not having to manage your bees. You don't have to have um, labor working the hives. Right. Uh, but it's a super expensive machine, I'm sure. Oh, God, it's got to be. It's got to be like, I mean, somebody at the commercial level who had a lot of disposable income could potentially have one. But to have a lot of them, like they've got to scale the production to where it's actually a little bit more, quote unquote, affordable, because right now it's not. It's it's a an investment pipe dream. But you're the problems they say that they're trying to solve is that. If it's in the wintertime and there's no forage available, the AI system inside there can monitor that, figure it out, and dispense food or water to the colonies when needed. Um, It can harvest single frames at a time. So instead of waiting until a colony is completely full, taking that box off, extracting it, the robotic system and the AI system is constantly monitoring it, and it can go through and select. As soon as that frame is full, immediately pull it uncap it, spin it, and put it right back inside the colony so it can keep getting filled. And then it also helps monitor for diseases and pests. And it has a way of heating, I thought this was interesting, heating the comb and the brood to kill varroa mites without the adult bees present, which technically the heat would not harm the adult bees as much as it's going to harm the larva. But supposedly they have found the right temperature where the larva is okay and the mites are not. So they say, Um, I know from future or past research on future things where the the larva themselves, just the smallest change up or down of one degree constant temperature can cause a larva to develop faster or slower or come out with developmental defects and birth defects to it. So heating it up to the point that you can kill a mite is probably going to have more consequences on the larva than you think. They also reference colony collapse as like one of the only things out there. They mention what it is. Colony collapse really at this point is is not really that big of a thing, but they attribute all of their losses to colony collapse. And they say that they can take it from where it's in like the 85 percentile to where it's only 8% of losses due to colony collapse. Well, I don't think I've ever lost a colony to colony collapse, but I've lost colonies to other things, you know? So right. it was just kind of an interesting scenario how they put it all together, but the whole thing is hundred percent automated. And when I was okay. reading the parts about like the extraction, so I, and some of this may go unsaid, but uh, is there programming in the AI to say, well, the bees need X amount of their own honey, or do you just harvest all of it? And then you're feeding them back sugar after the fact, you know, if it's harvesting every frame as it's full, does it have a point to know when to stop? Do they, are they allowed to have their own food sources? You know, like there's all these different aspects to it that kind of make me stop and scratch my head, but it's all like technology is awesome, but it's also terrifying. And in some cases, completely unnecessary. (laughs) So I might be reaching a little bit. Have you heard of the fire festival? Yes. Yeah, so we're selling a, a grandiose product to people, but in reality, it doesn't work one bit. And people that are wanting to spend their money, that are happy to just throw it so that they can be, you know, uh, some some kind of status or whatever, and they got taken for a ride. This company, and I'm not saying they are doing that. However, I will point out that they raised $80 million 
to do this, it doesn't look like um, the, the extraction process to me sound like we can do that. I can go and harvest one frame at a time. How do they move the bees away from the frames, first of all, before they right. uncap them? For anything. Them? Yeah, because they, they talk about no bees, no adult bees being present when it's treating for mites, no adult bees How obviously being the on the frame out? when they extract it. So, right. How are they moving those bees? And the extraction process is a centrifuge, just like what we would use. And I questioned like, okay, if it's going to be an automated system and it's going to test and it's going to understand and know, wouldn't this been a cool place to integrate the one thing that we like to joke about the flow hive where the cells actually separate and it drains into a center channel smarter because if you're centrifuging one frame, um for 15 really, minutes one frame for 15 minutes first the energy demands <laughs> and then um the fact that your extractor because it sounds like what it is is not balanced with one frame um and then the i don't know if you've seen the picture of the inside of one of those there must be like a hundred frames on two or three corridors how many colonies can you fit in there and why are they all mixing together? Yeah, there's 24 colonies. But when you see the picture, it almost looks like you're looking down a row of library books. You don't see any yes. clear definition between the colonies to say there's where one colony stops. There's where the next colony stops. Um, it is it is very tricky, but I kind of was like, OK, so if you have a centrifuge extractor, then you're going to have it says it uncaps them. So now you've got wax cappings in there somewhere. Then it spins it into a container, a large container that at some point is going to have to be cleaned. And I don't know if the automated system can do that itself or if you have to open this thing up and do maintenance for the automated system. But the flow hive seemed like a lot better scenario for that, where you have the flow frames in there. It senses they get full. The centers of them open. It drains into a, a basically yeah. a corridor that travels That's down into your container. That would make right. more sense. And then you don't have to remove the bees from the scenario. You don't have to uncap it. They will do that themselves when they sense that there's nothing behind it. They'll uncap it and go back through there. So it's it's just, again, solving problems that maybe don't exist or possibly unintended consequences and creating other problems by cooking your brood <laughs> that you didn't think of. Right. And, and even if the colonies are separated from each other, kind of like the Aja hives, you know, in a, in a cabinet and you're just kind of each colony has its own door inside the building. And, and you don't have to uh, disrupt the other colonies when you're extracting that one frame from the one colony. Well, um, how do you keep those bees from getting out when you How do you pull keep them from getting frame? inside, right? Inside the thing. They're, yeah. they're bee free when they're taking them out. So how? Are they blowing air at them? Are they putting Look, some sort of scent that they're running away from? Like what is happening? What is this AI system doing to quickly and safely remove all the bees from the frame it wants to do something to? So technologically speaking, there's a whole lot of challenges that they might or might not have been have solved, uh, including uh, respecting the beekeeping requirements or actually the colony needs um, and respecting that because if you don't, your colonies are gonna get sick and die. Um, but there, there are quotes and that's what I keep going back to is we want to reverse the trend. We don't, he, they're first saying every year around 35, percent of all bee colonies on the planet collapse, which is wrong. That's just not how it works. Um, we have two to 5% losses in our um, 
350 colonies that we manage. So I'm not sure how they're reaching that number. That means that some people lose everything. And I think that's that's true. But the other aspect of it is that they want to reverse that trend. They don't only want to stop colony collapse, which is no longer an issue. We want to reverse the trend and start increasing populations of bees on the planet to the levels that they used to be. Which we discussed earlier. Technically, they are already there. (laughs) So one of the other things that it mentioned that I forgot in my little list of things it can do is it also can sense and prevent swarming. How? Yeah. I mean, yes, we did talk in the very beginning about how there are sensors that can tell you, hey, based on all these scenarios and all this data input, your colony is probably about to swarm. How does an AI system robotic arm prevent that? What is it doing? It's chasing everybody off the comb, pulling it in, cutting off the queen cells? Like, is it surgically lasering them? Is it locking the doors and being like, you are not leaving? (laughs) Like, (laughs) It talks to it and it gives it a scolding. It's like, you're not allowed to reproduce. I, this is off, and, off and, subject, but uh, yeah, that whole talks and points. <laughs> when I first showed a video a long time ago of bees marching, one of my friends was like, oh my God, how did you get them to do that? I was like, I snapped my fingers and pointed. <laughs> I was well, like, And then the Go. other thing is that <laughs> even if we admit that the machine can prevent the colony to uh, swarm, what is the natural cycle of a colony? It's supposed right? to swarm. <laughs> well, that, and it's also expanding. Yep. From year to year, it tends to get bigger up to the point where it swarms. If you don't let it swarm, how much space will they fill, right? That's true. If you get to 24 colonies in that box, a full-size colony can reach pretty large proportions if you don't let them swarm. Right. So how do you control that too? Well, you're also impeding the natural ebb and flow of their cycle period, because if you're not letting them swarm, then yes, they are getting bigger. And in periods of dearth, if the system is saying, oh, there's no food out here, let me feed you. Well, then they're going to continue to grow. (laughs) And there's a contradiction. That's why I was pointing out to that statement that they made. If you don't let your colonies swarm, how do you increase the number of colonies of bees on the planet? Right. What's really going on inside that box? <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it doesn't even do what it says it should, it should be doing, increasing the number of colonies on the planet. Because if they don't swarm, there's no increase. That's true. And the only other way that it could be not doing that is maybe it senses it. And I mean, you know, it's a super intelligent AI system. So maybe it senses it and it does its own split. <laughs> but then it goes back to what you were saying. Where did the bees go? And how do they not get into that internal chamber? And it would not be able to do a split and take bees with it without them getting in that internal chamber. So look, I feel, I feel bad because all we've been doing uh, We're dissing on them is criticizing them <laughs> and I'm doing all the, the premise of this innovation. It is very creative. I think there's a whole lot of technological innovation that's going into this. There's probably a ton of good ideas and I, for one, would be curious to go and check it out closer. Not that we will ever be invited now that we've talked about all this. <laughs> you want us to say but, nice things about your product? Invite us to come see it in person. Otherwise, right. we could only go by what we read. <laughs> right. And that's the problem. And OK, so that brings me to another topic. And this seems to be a trend here, but um, 
in, from that corner of the world, uh, and, and, and innovation happens everywhere. But there's a couple of uh, things that seem to be happening where there's also a firm that's claiming to make honey without honeybees. Oh, I saw that. Right. Right. And but it's not honey anymore. Mm -mm. And I'm sorry, you shouldn't be able to sell that as honey if it's not if it's some kind of like artificial um, yeah. uh, process that's making it like honey. So there's a couple of things. There's one is like um, kind of like fake kind of syrup that tastes like honey or maybe it's mixed oh, that's, with something. That's the that is the bee free honey, and it's spelled H O N E E, and it was made by vegans who thought that we were enslaving the bees and it was bad for the bees. And I live with a vegan, so I can say this because luckily they don't right. have that extreme dogma and understand the beekeeping aspect of it. But, right. um, but what they did is they made their honey from apples, which are 100% pollinated by honeybees. So I thought it was really interesting that they're claiming don't buy honey from beekeepers, don't support the beekeepers, buy our bee-free honey, which right. consequently had to be pollinated by bees to make. So whatever. Um, the other one, though, was legitimate. The second one you mentioned, they're actually taking nectar, going through a dehydration and fermentation process, but the key element that's missing is the bee, and the bee has its own enzymes and microbes that it adds to the honey so that's why it's not honey. And they scientifically pro proved a long time ago that you cannot recreate honey in a lab because yeah. it's missing these key enzymes and proteins and things that only originate inside the honeybee and the honeybee adds to it. So it's so complex that there's a, there's no way human beings can reproduce it really. Uh, not now anyway. And um, it, it, what I love, it's called bios, B-I-O's, bios or something like that. And to me, it sounds like bio. <laughs> so I don't know, but. Yeah, it had a, it had a, a name that it was almost like the foreign word for kind of, not literally, but um, like, what is, what is the, oh, Dr. Osterk would say it all the time. And now I can't remember what it is. Um, the other word for honey, that's not in English. It's uh, starts with an M. Melissa. Miel. 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 Yeah. That's a French word. Yeah. It's a French. Well, there you go. See, you should have oh, known that yeah. right off. <laughs> also in Spanish, miel. I think they're saying it as well. Yeah. Well, and I think they, I almost want to say they use it in Italy too, that it, it's some, some it's derivative very of that. It's Latin origin. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what it reminds me of is almost like they were, they were taking some Latin derivative of a word that means this, but not kind of, but it, uh, it is a strange, it's a strange name. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so, maybe that's right. Bio Bio might be the company. I don't know. It's interesting all the way around, though. And again, that is the whole point and topic of today's show was technology. And I did stay at the very beginning. I love technology. I used to have a collection of robots, and I don't know if I would be horrified or thrilled <laughs> one day when they take over the world and try to murder us all. But um, <laughs> it it's still, though, sometimes there's a difference between, yes, the innovation and the creativity. We applaud the people that have dreamed up these things, especially ones that are actually like been able to create them and they're in production it. because some mm -hmm. of that technology could very well be used. Maybe that AI system becomes amazing and gets compacted down into some of these other current sensors that are out there monitoring hives. Yeah. And it can exactly. monitor the hive and let the beekeeper know what needs to be done in a better way than the ones that exist today. You know, like there could be advantages to it. There could be ways of, you know, maybe someday when we're completely off of fossil fuels and we need electronic vehicles, 
there's some sort of electronic beekeeping equivalent, but that doesn't mean it needs to just contain one hive. Yeah, <laughs> you know, were, like we were very negative Nellies on on some of this stuff, and we should probably not do that. But it is good in good fun. And, and to your point, some of that innovation, if we don't try anything, we're not going to get anything done, right? So, and and there could be some seeds for other applications, whether it's in the beekeeping industry or not. It could be also helping native bees. It could be you know helping our uh, moving to Mars because we've destroyed the planet or, or right. something like that. So. But I, I would say my ask would be that if you are going to donate hundreds or thousands or millions of dollars, yeah. start with actual seeds and go plant and, real seeds that yeah. feed real bees before that we go create be fake bees. <laughs> we're going back for, full circle to what we were saying. Right. We, and it's better to go and plant, limit toxicity and plant forage. Right. Give them what they bees. need instead of just assuming, okay, you're eventually going to be gone. So let me start designing your replacement. No, I mean, you know, if we're completely honest, it's great. It's creative and it's, it's great technology and all this stuff, but it's, it's a, it's a, the goal is to make money. Yep. It is. Um, so there you go. <laughs> Yep. And speaking of money, if you don't want to plant seeds and you don't want to give it to them, give it to us. <laughs> right. We'll do but something I mean, to help bees with it. It'll be okay. <laughs> this is why Les and I were not very the favorite of the commercial beekeeping world or the 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 beekeeping supply companies, especially. Yeah, you guys are all about sharing freely. For free, we put the bees in there, and we just don't buy all the gadgets. We need nothing of those beekeeping catalogs, absolutely nothing. And I think that's uh, why we're not very <laughs> popular in those circles. <laughs> in some of those circles, I can I can totally understand that. I definitely understand that. <laughs> <laughs> we are threatening their money makers. That's the quickest way to make an enemy: threaten that's their source right. of income. That's right. <laughs> Well, everybody, we hope that you have enjoyed and you found this more humorous than not, but it does still stop and give you little grains of things to think about, about, hmm, what if when the robotic overlords rule the world and your crops can't get pollinated because you can't afford to pay the robot overlord? <laughs> so <laughs> I'd rather keep control of my colonies, too, by the way. I don't want them to be, you know, controlled by machines. That's true. That's true. So. There you go. We hope you enjoyed. We look forward to talking to you again next week. And until then, as always, be good. And be mindful. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.